0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in
1: four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at IndivisibleRadio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag Indivisible Radio or leave us a voicemail at IndivisibleRadio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing.
2: Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change.
3: Good evening, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC in New York. And most of tonight's Indivisible will be live coverage of President Trump's announcement of his nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court. It is scheduled for right now. Often these things run a few minutes late, but you never know. Here's what Trump said on Meet the Press. About a year ago, February 14th, 2016, just after the death of Justice Antonin Scalia.
2: We need great intellect. We need, uh, I say, absolutely conservative. But the real, I think the real plan for it would be somebody just like Justice Scalia.
3: Donald Trump a year ago. We are told that we are less than two minutes away from the announcement, but I just want to introduce our guests who are going to do analysis before, if there's time, and after, if there isn't. Alberto Gonzalez, who was U.S. Attorney General under President George W. Bush from 2005 to 2007. He had been the White House counsel before that and a justice on the Texas Supreme Court before that. He is currently dean of the law school at Belmont University in Nashville and author of the book True Faith and Allegiance. And WNYC's All Things Considered host, Jamie Floyd, who is a lawyer and before coming to public radio, was host of the program Best Defense on Court TV and a law and justice correspondent for ABC News and worked in the Bill Clinton White House, helping with the vetting of judicial nominees, among other things. Jamie is here in our studio. Judge Gonzalez is in Nashville. Thanks to both of you for doing this. Good evening and welcome to Indivisible. Hello. All right. Thanks for having me. Now that you've said hello, here comes President (laughs) Trump and we go live.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. When Justice Scalia passed away suddenly last February, I made a promise to the American people. If I were elected President, I would find the very best judge in the country for the Supreme Court. I promise to select someone who respects our laws and is representative of our Constitution and who loves our Constitution, and someone who will interpret them as written. This may be the most transparent judicial selection process in history. Months ago, as a candidate, I publicly presented a list of brilliant and accomplished people to the American electorate and pledged to make my choice from among that list. Millions of voters said this was the single most important issue to them when they voted for me for president. I am a man of my word. I will do as I say something that the American people have been asking for from Washington for a very, very long time today thank you today I'm keeping another promise to the American people by nominating judge Neil Gorsuch of the United States Supreme Court to be of the United States Supreme Court. And I would like to ask Judge Gorsuch and his wonderful wife, Louise, to please step forward. Please, Louise, Judge. Here they come. Here they come. So was that a surprise? Was it? I have always felt that after the defense of our nation, the most important decision a president of the United States can make is the appointment of a Supreme Court justice. Depending on their age, a justice can be active for 50 years, and his or her decisions can last a century or more and can often be permanent. I took the task of this nomination very seriously. I have selected an individual whose qualities define really, and I mean closely define what we're looking for. Judge Gorsuch has outstanding legal skills, a brilliant mind, tremendous discipline, and has earned bipartisan support. When he was nominated to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, he was confirmed by the Senate unanimously. Also, that's unanimous. Can you believe that nowadays with what's going on? Does that happen anymore? Does it happen? I think it's going to happen, maybe again. Also with us tonight is Maureen Scalia, a woman loved by her husband and deeply respected by all. I am so happy she is with us. Where is Maureen? Please stand up. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Marilyn. She is uh, really the ultimate representative of the late, great Justice Antonin Scalia, whose image and genius was in my mind throughout the decision-making process. Not only are we looking at the writings of the nominee, and I studied them closely, but he is said to be among the finest and most brilliant, oftentimes, the writings of any judge for a long, long time. And his academic credentials, something very important to me and that education has always been a priority, are as good as I have ever seen. He received his undergraduate degree from Columbia with honors. He then received his law degree from Harvard, also with honors, where he was a Truman Scholar. After Harvard, he received his doctorate at Oxford where he attended as a Marshall Scholar, one of the top academic honors anywhere in the world. After law school, he clerked on the Supreme Court for both Justices Byron White and Anthony Kennedy. It is an extraordinary resume, as good as it gets. Judge Gorsuch was born and raised in Colorado and was taught the value of independence, hard work, and public service. While in law school, he demonstrated a commitment to helping the less fortunate. He worked in both Harvard prison legal assistance projects and Harvard Defenders program. Brilliance being assured, I studied every aspect of his life. He could have had any job at any law firm for any amount of money. But what he wanted to do with his career was to be a judge to write decisions, and to make an impact by upholding our laws and our Constitution. The qualifications of Judge Gorsuch are beyond dispute. He is the man of our country and a man who our country really needs, and needs badly, to ensure the rule of law and the rule of justice. I would like to thank Senate leadership. I only hope that both Democrats and Republicans can come together for once, for the good of the country. Congratulations to you and your family. May God bless you. May God bless our glorious nation. Judge Gorsuch, the podium, sir, is yours.
0: Thank you. you. Mr. President, thank you very much. Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, you and your team have shown me great courtesy in this process, and you've entrusted me with a most solemn assignment. Standing here in a house of history and acutely aware of my own imperfections, I pledge that if I am confirmed, I will do all my powers permit be a faithful servant of the Constitution and laws of this great country. For the last decade, I've worked as a federal judge in a court that spans six Western states, serving about 20% of the continental United States and about 18 million people. The men and women I've worked with at every level in our circuit are an inspiration to me. I've watched them fearlessly tending to the rule of law, enforcing the promises of our Constitution, and living out daily their judicial oaths to administer justice equally to rich and poor alike, following the law as they find it and without respect to their personal political beliefs. I think of them tonight. Of course, the Supreme Court's work is vital not just to a region of the country, but to the whole, vital to the protection of the people's liberties under law and to the continuity of our Constitution, the greatest charter of human liberty the world has ever known. The towering judges that have served in this particular seat of the Supreme Court, including Antonin Scalia and Robert Jackson, are much in my mind at this moment. Justice Scalia was a lion of the law. Agree or disagree with him, all of his colleagues on the bench cherished his wisdom and his humor. and Like them, I miss him. <clears throat> I began my legal career working for Byron White the last Coloradan to serve on the Supreme Court, and the only justice to lead the NFL in rushing. (laughs) He was one of the smartest and most courageous men I've ever known. When Justice White retired, he gave me the chance to work for Justice Kennedy as well. Justice Kennedy was incredibly welcoming and gracious. And like Justice White, he taught me so much. I am forever grateful. And if you've ever met Judge David Centel, you'll know just how lucky I was to land a clerkship with him right out of school. Thank you. These judges brought me up in the law. Truly, I would not be here without them. Today is as much their day as it is mine. In the balance of my professional life, I've had the privilege of working as a practicing lawyer and teacher. I've enjoyed wonderful colleagues whose support means so much to me at this moment, as it has year in and year out. Practicing in the trial work trenches of the law, I saw, too, that when we judges don our robes, it doesn't make us any smarter. But it does serve as a reminder of what's expected of us – impartiality and independence, collegiality and courage. As this process now moves to the Senate, I look forward to speaking with members from both sides of the aisle, to answering their questions and to hearing their concerns. I consider the United States Senate the greatest deliberative body in the world, and I respect the important role the Constitution affords it in the confirmation of our judges. I respect, too, the fact that in our legal order, it is for Congress and not the courts to write new laws. It is the role of judges to apply, not alter, the work of the people's representatives. A judge who likes every outcome he reaches is very likely a bad judge, (laughs) stretching for results he prefers rather than those the law demands. I am so thankful tonight for my family, my friends, and my faith. These are the things that keep me grounded at life's peaks and that sustain me In its valleys. To Louise, my incredible wife and companion of 20 years, my cherished daughters who are watching on TV, (laughs) and all my family and friends, I cannot thank you enough for your love and for your prayers. I could not attempt this without you. Mr. President, I am honored, and I am humbled. Thank you very much.
3: President Trump announcing the nomination of appeals court judge Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. He comes from Colorado, went to Columbia University undergrad, Harvard for law school. He is 49 years old, so he could be on the court for a good long time. He was a classmate of Barack Obama at Harvard Law, by the way, graduating in 1991 also worked for the Justice Department. Since 2006, he has served on the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals based in Colorado. An unusual biographical note is that his mother, Ann Gorsuch, headed the EPA under President Reagan, but was forced to resign in the midst of a scandal in the 1980s. So let's start to get reaction from our guests, Jamie Floyd and Alberto Gonzalez and listeners. Your voice is always invited on Indivisible. So if you voted for Donald Trump, what do you want in a Supreme Court justice? And if you know anything about Judge Gorsuch, does he fit your mold? And if you did not vote for Trump, what should cause the Senate to reject? A Supreme Court nominee, call 844-745-TALK, 1-844-745-TALK. One of the privileges of the presidency to appoint someone with your basic judicial philosophy only when people are considered unusually radical, like Robert Bork under President Reagan, or unusually unqualified or not ideological enough for your own party, like George W. Bush nominee Harriet Myers, who ran into both problems. Only then are people usually rejected. So, Trump voters, what do you want in a Supreme Court justice? Non-Trump voters, what would be a serious enough problem, in your view, that the Senate should reject the nominee? Call us toll-free at 1-844-745-TALK, 844-745-TALK. Judge Gonzalez, your first impressions. Do you know Judge Gorsuch?
4: I do know uh, Judge Gorsuch. He actually worked for me as a deputy associate attorney general. And so we would uh, see each other every morning at the senior staff meeting. And uh, of course, uh, he went on the circuit uh, when I was the, the, the attorney general and was responsible for his vetting. Uh, I think, um, I mean, there are very few people in the country that I think uh, that I would that uh, have his qualifications uh, and his level of experience. So I'm very, very pleased. Not only do I think he's an outstanding jurist and will be becoming even a greater jurist. But I, he's just a really, uh, really great person. And I certainly enjoyed working with him. He did a great service to the, uh, the American people at the, at the Department of Justice. And of course, that service has continued on the 10th Circuit. And I, very, very, uh, I have expectations that he'll uh, really follow very closely in the footsteps of Justice Scalia.
3: We have to take a break in about 40 seconds, and then we'll have the rest of the hour. But give me just a real quick take, a soundbite take for now, on how you think he would follow in the footsteps of Justice Scalia. Is
4: that a question for me? I'm yes, sorry, sir. I, didn't, I didn't. Okay. Well, I, I just think that, uh, you know, I've read some of his of his opinions and uh he wrote a very nice... And you know what, uh, forgive me, year.
3: now now I'm going to have to ask you to hold it over the break. This okay. is Indivisible, Hi. Public Radio's national call-in for the first 100 days of the Bush presidency. We'll be back with Alberto Gonzalez and Jamie Floyd and your calls.
5: Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com/indivisible.
1: There's a lot going on right now: mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Indivisible. The number to call is 844 745 talk that's 844-745-8255.
3: And from WNYC in New York, I'm Brian Lehrer. And most of tonight's Indivisible is our live coverage of President Trump's announcement of Neil Gorsuch, his nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court, and your reactions. Uh, and let's reset here. My guests are Alberto Gonzalez, who is U.S. Attorney General under President George W. Bush, From 2005 to 2007, he had been the White House counsel before that and a justice on the Texas Supreme Court before that. He is currently dean of the law school at Belmont University in Nashville and author of the book, True Faith and Allegiance. And WNYC's All Things Considered host, Jamie Floyd, who is a lawyer and before coming to public radio, was host of the program Best Defense on Court TV and a law and justice correspondent for ABC News and worked in the Bill Clinton White House helping with the vetting of judicial nominees. And Judge Gonzalez, I was so thinking about the story you were starting to tell about working under President Bush uh, with um, Neil Gorsuch that when we went to the break, you might have noticed I I said, uh, this is indivisible, our... call in for the first 100 days of the Bush presidency. So I apologize to Donald Trump and everybody else for that mistake, obviously, of the Trump presidency. And Judge Gonzalez, why don't you pick up where you left off before the break and tell us that story you were going to tell us about, um, one indication of why uh, Judge Gorsuch is a worthy heir to the Scalia mantle.
4: Well, you can see it in his writings, and uh, the way that he approaches the case is, in terms of um, uh, reliance upon the text of the Constitution. Uh, some people refer to as a strict constructionist or originalist. But he also wrote a very moving tribute to Justice Scalia after Justice Scalia's death, uh, where he referred to Justice Scalia as a lion of the law, and, and he made that same reference uh, tonight in his remarks. And so uh, he is very much um, a disciple of the style of Justice Scalia, I think some people believe that, you know, he has the same type of flair in terms of his writing of Justice Scalia. So in many ways, he's patterned himself after Justice Scalia. But I have every expectation that he's going to set his own course. And I think over a period of time, this will represent one of uh, of President Trump's most shining legacies. Jamie
3: Floyd, Scalia 2.
1: Well, yes, uh, he um, does have a very similar writing style—a very uh, clear, crisp, sharp writing style. He is uh, his personality, uh, and I would defer to the judge on this because, of course, he knows the man personally. Uh, but uh, you know his mother, his mother, um, and you referenced his mother, uh, who uh, was a very fiery. Um, woman and known to be a a very fiery woman. But uh, Judge Gorsuch is a very, uh, from what I understand, Judge, and please step in here on this, but I understand he is a very uh, cerebral, uh, collegial, uh, polite, genteel, diplomatic person, uh, quite different from our president, Trump. Uh, in his bearing in the workplace and in the uh, office place and in chambers, uh, his approach to colleagues. But then when he gets a pen in his hand, he does seem to be quite like Scalia in the way he approaches his opinions. And uh, he had affiliation with Scalia before, with I should say Justice Scalia, before Uh, having clerked for the judge that Scalia preceded uh, in the district court. So uh, these are uh, very—this is a small community of legal fellowship. And I want to underscore, because I know we are going to get into when our callers start calling, uh, the political aspects of this moment in history. But I do want to underscore what the judge said. There is um, no more glittering resume than I have seen. Very few people have three legal, uh, or I should say three, uh, diplomas. He has the diploma from mm-hmm. Columbia, then he has the Harvard Law degree, and then he has a Ph.D. from Oxford.
3: Oh, in what?
1: In, in, in legal philosophy. Huh. Uh, Most people don't go on to get another law degree. We love the law, don't we, Judge? But most people don't love it that much. One degree (laughs) suits uh, most of us enough. To get another degree in law shows a real love of the law uh, (laughs) and a real intellectual power. Uh, So though we may disagree with him and we have entered, you know, I've been covering these things since Judge Souter, before Clarence Thomas, uh, we've entered this political phase of the court, but there's no doubting the man's intellectual power.
3: Um, before we go to calls, Judge Gonzalez, is he that much of an intellectual? Is that your experience with him, that in addition to his law degree uh, from an Ivy League school? And I believe there are no Ivy League graduate justices on the bench right now, if I'm not mistaken. Non-Ivy League. The, the, no, I think, uh, well, may, are they all Ivy League? I thought I read the yes. opposite. Yes, no, that's that's a criticism. They're yeah. all Ivy League. Forgive me for that yes. mistake. So in addition to that, he went on to get that Ph.D. in judicial philosophy. So Judge Gonzalez, in your experience of, of him, is he that uh, intellectual, that scholarly in his orientation?
4: Yes, uh, I, he is extremely bright. Uh, and I, I must say that Jamie's characterization of his personality was spot on. I've always found him to be extremely gracious, very polite. Now of course that's understandable with him working for me, but that <laughs> continued even after even after I left office and in our in our encounter together when I was just the former attorney general, he was always he's always been very gracious and very polite to me and my family and so I have a great deal of respect for him as a person. I think it's a tremendous um, a lot about about him, as uh, you know, his personality, and I think that's really going to serve him extremely well working with the other members of the Supreme Court.
1: Uh, assuming he's confirmed.
3: We'll assuming in, he's confirmed, and we'll get into the pitfalls uh, as he gets to the Democrats in the minority in the Senate. Um, he's also the youngest nominee in a quarter century at 49 years old, so this may well turn out to be, in the very long run. One of the biggest legacy points of Donald Trump uh, within his first two weeks in office. So Trump voters, what do you want in a Supreme Court justice? Non-Trump voters, what would be a serious enough problem in your view that the Senate should reject the nominee? Our lines are full, but when people finish up, you can call us toll-free at one eight four four seven four five talk. That's eight four four seven four five eight two five five eight four four seven four five talk. And let's start with John in Nashville. John, you're on Indivisible. Thank you so much for calling in.
6: Uh, Good evening. How are
3: you? I'm doing great. How about you?
6: I am fantastic. I'm not one to complain. It doesn't do any good.
3: That's a good philosophy (laughs) to start out. Did you vote for Donald Trump?
6: I, I did. The pickings were slim. So yes, I voted for Donald John Trump.
3: And how much was Supreme Court a reason for your vote?
6: Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would probably say about a 5.
3: Okay. So and, uh, go, go ahead. Tell you, us what you would like you, to see in a Supreme Court justice. As you get to know uh, Neil Gorsuch and his record, what would make you happy or unhappy?
6: Well, I've read a little bit about him the last 48 hours. And um, with with him or any Supreme Court uh, judge, at this day and age, in 2017, I would like for somebody that's going to uphold the Constitution, um, in his speech just a few moments ago after his introduction by the president, he made a statement that really grabbed my attention, which is why I called you. Um, he made a statement that if every judge liked the decisions that they made or the rulings that they made, they're probably not a very good judge. Um, he, he, if he's going to uphold the Constitution, um, our First and Second Amendment rights, um, mainly, then that is something that I'm looking for as a uh, small business owner here in Middle Tennessee. Um, the, there, there's so many people in the world today, especially the younger generation from what I'm finding, um, you know, people in their 20s and 30s that are uh, constantly, and, and social media puts it all out there, a lot of it's fake, as we all know, but they're wanting to change the laws of this country And if some of these um, issues get as far as the Supreme Court, I definitely want somebody that is firm in the Constitution as the way it was written many, 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 many years ago. That is uh, what's very Mm -hmm. important to me, although there's a lot of issues that are going to constantly come up um, to the Supreme Court. Um, It it seems all the time you hear on the news about pro-life, and um, there's a lot of different positions on that. Uh, I'm kind of in limbo on them. Just because of the world we live in today.
7: Of, and course, of course, if you yeah. asked
6: me that question, the, the, the lady who um, took my call a moment ago, um, uh, I brought up that issue, and you'd asked me if you'd asked me that question about pro-life 20 years ago, uh, my answer may have
3: been different than wow. what it is today. That's interesting. And John, I'm going to leave it there. That could be a whole other show how have people's views changed?
1: Including justices.
3: Including justices over time. And we know Donald Trump's position has changed on the question of abortion rights. So, uh, John, thanks for starting us off. And let's go next to Charlie in Atlanta. Charlie, you're on Indivisible. Hi there.
8: Thank you for taking my call. I, I, I did not vote for Donald Trump. I am a Democrat. But if I were sitting in the United States Senate let alone on the Judiciary Committee, I would have a very difficult time voting against uh, Judge Gorsuch because he's obviously eminently qualified from a legal point of view. I felt the same way about John Roberts. I did not agree with John Roberts, but John Roberts had impeccable credentials. And, you know, the job of the Senate, as I understand it, uh, is to approve qualified candidates. Now, I will say this. I hope that the Judiciary Committee... Uh, ask some extensive questions about judge gorsuch 's view on business law because I do believe that the, uh, that, that a case, let alone many cases uh, involving donald trump 's uh, conflict of interest, are going to come up before the Supreme Court and uh, that, I, I do not think that uh, uh, Roe versus Wade is the preeminent uh, issue. Uh, that Donald Trump is thinking about. I think that he really does want to make sure that when the conflicts of interest come before the court, and they inevitably will, that uh, he has a friendly ear.
3: That's very interesting. Charlie, thank you very much. Jamie, do you think these alleged conflicts of interest that uh, Donald Trump might have are fodder for the U.S. Supreme Court, or do they just exist in the political realm rather than the legal and judicial and constitutional there realm. There
1: are so many good questions that have just been raised by our callers. Uh, advising consent is the role of the Senate, uh, to, to get back to the last caller's point. Uh, Merrick Garland was also, I thought, and I'm curious if the judge uh, agrees, eminently qualified, and yet he was not approved, uh, didn't even get to a vote, and... Uh, And then there's the question that was just raised about uh, Donald Trump's uh, business conflicts and whether that will ever get before the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, we've had uh, conflicts between the executive branch and the judicial branch, the Supreme Court, before. uh, And in my view, the court has always done the right thing on that issue, not always done the right thing on all issues. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Roe versus Wade and civil rights and various other uh, issues of great concern aren't going to come before this judge. The, the real question I have and concern I have, and, and I'd be very curious to hear from Judge Gonzalez on this, is that these hearings have become uh, so delicate that you don't get any real answers from the candidate on any issue, least of all Roe v. Wade, and I certainly don't think he's going to answer anything, I mean, with all due respect, to, to judge gorsuch uh anything too directly about donald trump's business
3: interests judge gonzalez what do you think well i don't think that
4: um of course i don't know president trump but i i can't imagine that this decision was in any way motivated by a concern about how the, the court might decide a case involving his business interests i i i, I believe that uh, this nomination was based solely upon the record and qualifications uh, of Judge Gorsuch. Uh, You know, it it is true when we nominate, and I suspect this is probably true under President Clinton, uh, in connection with a nomination and preparing someone for a confirmation hearing, we never asked or talked about specific cases. Obviously, we wouldn't ask about Roe v. Wade. One of the questions that I would be very interested in asking, if I remember the Senate, and that we we always prepare on our for was the question of of uh, precedent, because mm-hmm. unlike any other court, the Supreme Court does a uh, justice doesn't have to follow precedent. And so the question that I would always be interested in, okay, when is it appropriate for a justice for the court to ignore precedent? We know the court sometimes gets it wrong, and so you take an oath to respect and honor the Constitution. And so if you look at a precedent you believe it's inconsistent with the constitution you know when is it okay when do you feel comfortable when is it right for the court to to change to change course some people believe that you ought to respect it respect precedent unless you absolutely feel like it, you cannot do so others believe i think someone like justice thomas believes that he takes the oath and his mm-hmm. his his job if he sees a precedent that is not accurate, that's not true to the Constitution, that he has an obligation uh, to vote against that precedent. So that's, that, you know, that's, you can get some sense about how someone might approach the question of, you know, privacy and abortion
7: rights by just
4: looking through their thoughts about precedent.
3: Jeremy in Greensboro, North Carolina, you're on Indivisible. Hiya, Jeremy.
7: Hey, thanks for having me on.
3: Thanks for making the call. Who'd you vote for for president?
7: I voted for Trump.
3: And was the Supreme Court a consideration in that decision?
7: Uh, the Supreme Court was my primary uh, consideration. Good for you. Uh, my, uh, okay. Well, I mean, during, my, during the campaign, my, my hashtag was hold nose vote Trump. Because <laughs> you have to because of the Supreme Court.
3: So what do you want from Judge Gorsuch if he becomes Justice Gorsuch?
7: Well, you know, the first thing I wanted was for it not to be a Hillary nominee. But the second thing, uh, which which really actually swayed my, my, my vote, if you can believe it, uh, for Trump, was that Trump actually promised during the campaign that the uh, nominee would be pro-life. And that's something that previous Republican nominees and presidents haven't, haven't promised, and they haven't—whether uh, they've done it, you know, secretly, I don't know. Uh, but Trump actually promised to do it ahead of time. And so— I thought that was terrific. It gave me hope that um, the things maybe over the course of the next 20 years or so uh, could actually be changed.
3: That's really interesting, Jeremy. And I'm going to play a clip of Trump on the campaign trail, promising a Supreme Court nominee who was a certain way on
2: another issue. Will you make upholding the Heller decision a litmus test? In Supreme Court nominees yes, that I you would. send, yes, I would, and I talk about it all the time. So you, so you won't oh, nominate absolutely. somebody to the Supreme Court unless they agree with Scalia on the Heller decision—that the Second Amendment means Americans Correct. have the right to keep and bear arms. give that commitment right. right now.
3: The Heller decision—that the Second Amendment means an individual right to bear arms, not a militia-based right to bear arms—that was Trump with Joe Scarborough on MSNBC. Um, Judge Gonzalez, this was a very unusual, and we have to take a break in in about 45 seconds, but this was a very unusual year, unprecedented to my eye, in the degree to which both candidates were willing to state specific litmus tests on specific issues. And I'm not sure that's a good thing, uh, because it's supposed to be about the law, not about somebody's politics. What do you think?
4: Well, I guess I'd be very curious as to whether or not there were questions posed to these Potential nominees in terms of how would that you know how do they view about a particular case because uh similar cases may come up before them and and uh, so that m- may raise a question recusal but more importantly, if you ask questions of these nominees about specific cases, that's fair game for the Senate and we we always try to avoid that that's why we we stayed away from from specific cases and looked at principles right. we cared more about the, the okay. and,
3: and we'll I'll, continue in a minute. I beg your pardon. This is Indivisible. More Judge Gonzalez and Jamie Floyd.
5: Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible.
1: This is Indivisible. The number to call is 844-745-TALK. That's
2: 844-745-8255.
3: Indivisible, Public Radio's national call-in show for the first 100 days of the new presidency. I'm Brian Lehrer. And to reset... Tonight's Indivisible is special coverage of President Trump's announcement of the nomination of appeals court judge Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. For those of you just joining us, Gorsuch comes from Colorado, went to Columbia University undergrad, Harvard for law school, got a Ph.D. in legal philosophy from Oxford. After that, he's 49 years old, the youngest nominee in a quarter century. He was a classmate of Barack Obama at Harvard Law, graduating in 1991, worked for the Justice Department under one of our guests, former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez from the Bush administration. Um, Since 2006, he served on the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals based in Colorado. And both our guests, WNYC host and legal analyst Jamie Floyd- and Judge Gonzales uh, agree that he's going to be pretty much in the Scalia mold. So Judge Gonzales, to go go back to what you were saying um, just before the break, do you think we can take a pretty good guess at um, how he would ro- rule on Roe versus Wade if it were to become uh, to come before him?
4: No, I, I don't know, and I, you know, I, I don't. I'm hoping that he hasn't decided in his mind. How he would side that case. Uh, quite frankly, what what I looked for was uh, I, I was more interested in the process that it, that a judge uses in reaching an outcome than the outcome itself. It, it, if if I felt they used the right process, then the outcome is the outcome. And as he said, as Judge had said in his remarks, sometimes that outcome is one that you may not personally like, but that's just the way it is. Uh, and so you know, I I, I don't know how he, how he he would rule. Uh, if a case uh, following Roe v Way were to come before him, and you know I just hope that he uses the right, he uses the right process, a process that i would 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 respect, and that I think many Republicans and conservatives would respect, and the outcome is the outcome
1: well i I, I um, agree entirely with Judge Gonzalez that it 's not fair to ask a nominee how they will rule in a case that might come before them in the future. Uh, I think that politicizes the process, and we don't know the facts. We don't know what law will be applied, Uh, and I I just think that is not the way to go about it. At the same time, uh, I think we do know that this judge generally takes the side of religious organizations. He takes the side of people seeking to exercise their faith without intrusion from the government. Uh, He wrote uh, quite brilliantly... Uh, though somewhat controversially in the Hobby Lobby decision uh, in the lower court that made its way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, and, of course... The, the decision uh, uh, that we, we, he
3: would have had with Hobby Lobby would be for the... Um, and, and I guess this this position it, prevailed, it, right? It
1: has to do with... Uh, well, it had to do with the exemption that companies now have uh, regarding providing birth control... Uh, under the Affordable Care Act, which
3: all may be moot relatively soon, but health the, insurance uh, coverage for contraception and Hobby as Lobby a requirement arg- and Hobby Lobby
1: argued that as a religious, uh, uh, religiously based, uh, closely held company, small company, they shouldn't have to afford that protection if it violated their religious views. Right. So that's where he stood as a judicial matter, not necessarily as a personal matter. And yeah. I, I think that the Trump administration probably took that into account because Donald Trump had promised, as Jeremy pointed out in his phone call, to appoint people who respect religious freedom and and a pro-life position. But, but
3: just before we go back to some more phone callers, just for um – The context for our listeners, since you've both had the experience, I think, of being in on the vetting of potential judicial nominees, and Judge Gonzalez, you may have been vetted yourself. I know you were named as as somebody who would be on President Bush's short list. And Jamie, you worked in the Clinton White House helping. I was never vetted. You were never <laughs> vetted, but you were vetting to judicial... To the best
4: of your knowledge, you weren't... <laughs> oh, I know.
3: I was but vetting. you were vetting judicial nominees. I don't know if Supreme Court nominees, but... Did the Clinton White House not want to know?
1: Yeah, no. I worked on one of those as well. Uh, you did, yes. But but I agree with the on judge abo- you on abortion don't rights on, on Roe. that very issue. And ever since Judge Bork, and I think you would probably agree, Judge Gonzalez, that that's where this all began. Uh, ever yes. since that unfortunate moment in history, in our history. Uh, we've uh, uh, the the people who've come up for consideration uh, have had to do this very delicate dance, not just around that case, but around any controversial. But case that's the public
3: dance. Didn't the president want to know, Jamie? I, I,
1: I now have to. Uh, I I cannot answer that confidentially? question. confidentially. Uh, I would have to. Uh, Did President <laughs> Bush want to know, know
3: Judge?
4: Uh, he may have wanted to know, but he never asked me. Uh, you know he what I did is I, I met privately with most of the contenders, including John Roberts, Sam Alito, Emilio Garza, Mike Ludig and others. I just met privately to have a conversation mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. just to feel them and get to know them, but we never got into specific cases right. Or, you know Bush might ask what you know what do you think what do you think he is on someone uh, on a particular matter and I would just have to hazard a guess, but i'd, I'd have to tell him. I really don't know,
1: you know, and I have to uh, be know? I have to be clear, I was never in the room with President Clinton having that level of conversation, mm-hmm. but I'm quite confident it was very similar in the Clinton White House.
3: Esther in New York City, you're on indivisible Hi, esther
9: hi um I just want to say I did not vote for Donald Trump, but um, and as the Republicans have proved, and unfortunately uh qualifications are no longer an issue, it's become politicized, which again, the Republicans have uh succeeded in doing so <coughs> and excuse me, and my feeling is that the seat should only be filled by Merrick Garland because the Republicans stole the seat from Obama. And um, nobody should, should be appointed to that seat other than Merrick Garland. Orrin yes. Hatch himself said that if he appointed Merrick Garland, he would definitely be confirmed, and yet they would not even give him a hearing. Um, so again, it's, it's too bad that it's become so politicized, but that's where the Republicans have put, put us.
3: Esther, thank you very much. And Jamie, I'm going yeah. to go to you on this. Yeah. Uh, Judge Gonzalez, I'm sorry. Did you want to say something?
4: Well, I was just going to. I was just going to say I am on record for saying that I that I I believe Merrick Garland was qualified and deserved the hearing. And if the Republicans were worried about him being confirmed to the to the to the Supreme Court, they had the votes in the Senate. But some, you know, the the president President Obama did his job in nominating someone that was qualified. And I, I believe it was it was up to—the the Senate should have done its job, and they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, we are where we are today. And uh, I'm not sure that, that doing two wrongs gets to the right place. Uh, I disagree with the caller that, that qualifications aren't a consideration here. I think we—you know, any objective observer here would have to say that Neil Gorsuch is eminently qualified yeah. to be on the U.S. Supreme Court.
1: I, I agree with the caller that Senate Democrats are very angry— uh, that Republicans prevented Mr. Obama, President Obama, uh, now still, I guess, still President Obama, uh, from filling that seat. Uh, and, and they may, uh, they may filibuster, uh, but I, I think then we'll end up with that so-called nuclear option. It's just going to be a mess. And, and the real thing Democrats have to remember is that this seat is not as critical, in my view, I don't That's know right. if Judge That's Gonzalez right. agrees, You're right. th- as the next seat that President Trump is likely to get when the next justice retires or, uh, or dies, I, I have to say. So, so they need to be very strategic about it.
3: Andrew in Cincinnati. You're on Indivisible. Hello, Andrew.
10: Hey, thanks for taking my call.
3: And you voted for Donald Trump, right?
10: Yes, I did.
3: What do you and think of I'm- this nomination?
10: Uh, Honestly, it kind of worries me. I'm not your normal Trump voter. I'm 27, uh, college educated. Uh, I'm a little more liberal on things. Um, But I I am pro-choice. And the thought of Roe v. Wade being overturned absolutely terrifies me. And I agree uh, with your guess that uh, this seat is really not the most important seat uh the next one, two or even three I've heard, uh appointments that he may possibly make could change the course of our country for the next thirty to fifty years. And um I you know, I, I hope I hope that we do not overturn Roe v. Wade and that there's uh there's some very important issues in our country that this court could change such as medical marijuana, Roe v. Wade. Uh, and I just want to hear what your guests' thoughts are on, on that.
3: Let me, let me hear one more of your thoughts, Andrew. As somebody who has liberal views that you just articulated, why did you vote for Donald Trump? What was appealing about him to you?
10: A number of things. Um, I I like the idea of a non-politician. I think that we need somebody outside of the establishment so to speak as uh it, either been a bush or a clinton uh you know it's it's there's these political dynasties that have been running our country for the last 60 years and i think we need to break that up and i, I did not mm-hmm. like hillary clinton and did not not believe that she would be the best option for our country.
3: Andrew, thank you so much for your call. Judge Gonzalez, let me throw one in here, because I wonder if maybe the most important question to ask with respect to a Trump nominee is his judicial views on executive power. I think President Bush lost a few rounds on that. So did President Obama. There is fear, in liberal circles especially, that Trump wants to move toward authoritarian rule. And I wonder how important you see executive power to be and how it might become or come before the Supreme Court regarding Trump.
4: I think potentially it could become a very serious issue. Um, you know, historically, the scope of executive powers uh, has ebbed and flow a lot, of, depending upon circumstances, uh, when times are dangerous. I think the court has been much more deferential to the executive in terms of dealing with threats to this country. Although I think what we're seeing is when those threats, uh, when attacks may occur within our borders and when they may affect the rights or the lives of American citizens, I think my sense is the court is becoming much more engaged in ensuring that those uh, the rights of citizens are protected or the rights of people within our borders are protected. But I, I think this could become a very significant issue that the court's going to have to wrestle with. Uh, But, again, I think historically the court has generally been very deferential to the executive with respect to national security and foreign affairs, much less deferential with respect to exercise of power over domestic
3: matters. And so, Jamie, we already have an issue with the travel ban on anyone traveling from those seven countries, including many U.S. visa holders traveling back here. And the courts Uh, have I I don't know if that's foreign or domestic, but is that an executive power issue? It could be. Or a constitutional? Issue, I I should say, is that a political executive power issue or a constitutional issue that the Supreme Court, including Neil Gorsuch, could have to rule on? It
1: could, it could wind its way up there, but that's going to have to work its way through the courts. And we saw the lower federal courts jump in, and for jurisdictions, we do have the sanctuary city issue, which could fast track its way to the courts. David Frum has written that piece in the Atlantic. Uh, about authoritarianism. Uh, But I want to come back to something that our caller said, uh, Andrew, uh, about political dynasties and the court. All of these Ivy Leaguers up at the court, uh, and look, I have great reverence for them, and I know many of them personally. I'm so honored to know them personally, Uh, though I guess I'll have to ask the judge to make the introduction to Judge and probably Justice Gorsuch. But uh, I think one thing Donald Trump could have done here, which would have been true to his populist campaign, would have been to nominate someone who is not in that mold, Uh, someone like Judge Hardiman who did not go to an Ivy League academy, who worked as a cab driver to put himself through school, whose father ran a taxi cab and transportation company. He was the
3: the runner-up in this process. Yes,
1: because the court is becoming a little bit of a political dynasty with all that elitism up there.
3: Patricia in Troy, Alabama. You're on Indivisible. Hello. Hello, Patricia.
5: Hello. Hello. You all have given me much food for thought. My first reaction was to the Hobby Lobby references, and the judge making remarks referring to religion in his his acceptance of Mm -hmm. this nomination. I think Thomas Jefferson would be turning over in his grave to hear such words coming out of a potential Supreme Court justice's mouth. But my real fear is the Andrew Jackson impulse behind Donald Trump, as revealed by Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller. And Andrew Jackson, remember the famous words to uh, John Marshall, let him enforce it when Georgia was overruled about access to Indian lands, and that led to the Trail of Tears.
3: And there is the executive power issue again, really. Patricia, thank you very much. We just have a few minutes left in the program, and Judge Gonzalez, I want to take advantage of your presence as a former U.S. Attorney General, and ask what you were thinking last night when you heard that Acting Attorney General Sally Yates said she could not enforce the seven-country temporary travel ban executive order because she wasn't convinced that it was lawful, and then President Trump fired her for that?
4: I was disappointed that it came to that. I don't don't think that—first of all, I was surprised that uh, if the department had such issues with the executive order, how how did it ever come to the White House, and how did the president ever sign it? So, I'm hopeful that it wasn't a short circuit here, and that the process wasn't followed that is normally followed in connection with the, with executive orders. The other thing is that with respect to Ms. Yates, who I don't know, but but I respect everything that I know about her, and I don't want to seem to be second guessing her, but I have to I, I'm wondering why she did what she did um, because it really elevated this thing and really made it much more political. We're going to end up in the same place that we would be if she had simply resigned. Uh, you know, she's not entitled to that job. Her her responsibility is to give advice, and so long as she provided that advice to the White House, then she's done her duty, and if it's not going to be followed and she doesn't like that, then it seems to me that perhaps a more appropriate course of action would have been to simply resign rather than send out that directive. But, but again, I, I suspect there are facts here that I'm not aware of that may, that may further explain why she took the course of action that she did. But I, I'm disappointed because uh, it's just not, it's not good for the department and uh, I'm curious to know what other facts may, may have motivated what happened uh, last night.
3: I wonder if we'll ever know, but Jamie, from a political standpoint, and the standpoint of people who do want this overturned, who do want to be critical of this executive order, yeah. uh, Judge Gonzalez is the second person I've interviewed today who said that Yates would have made her point more effectively if she had resigned, ra- <coughs> excuse me, rather than defied. From both an ethical and image hmm. standpoint, that maybe it would have been. Cleaner? Any thought about that?
1: Yeah, I, I heard that earlier interview as well. Uh, you know, first of all, I defer, of course, uh, to the judge here, uh, given his uh, experience in this area. But I, I also tend to agree. Um, and you know, now now we go forward, and and the interim uh, is in that position. I think probably only for a short time. Um, it remains to be seen, I think, uh, what will happen as this winds its way through the courts. You asked earlier, getting back to the Supreme Court, whether this will be a Supreme Court issue. And we have And I seconds. tend to think it will not. I tend to think it's going to resolve itself in some other way.
3: Well, Judge Gonzalez, thank you very much for giving us this hour. Now uh, back to school as uh, dean of the Belmont University <laughs> Law School there in Nashville. Thank you very much. And Jamie Floyd, our listeners on WNYC in New York, will continue to hear you as the All Things Considered host. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. And that's tonight's edition of Indivisible, Public Radio's national call-in show for the first 100 days of the new presidency. I'm Brian Lehrer. Join our Wednesday night host, as the series continues tomorrow night, Charlie Sykes, in this same hour tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling, everybody. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.